This is Ira on Sports, 95.9106.9. We're honored to have Mark Salter, uh, an author who lives now here in Jupiter, uh, who wrote a book called Sins of the Tribe. And the best way I can describe your book, Mark, is it's Friday Night Lights for college football. Uh, that's pretty pretty spot on, yes. <laughs> so thanks a lot for coming and talking about this book. And it's it's a fiction book. I usually have nonfiction writers on this show, but it's a fiction book. But if anybody follows college football, everything that you see comes into this. Was it, was it a way for you to talk about college football in a way where you weren't really like going to get sued because you had to or do investigative research on certain things? You know, um, I guess the first thing I got to say is I love football. Love everything about football. Played college ball. Had a tryout with a pro team, uh, and yet there's there's just too much hypocrisy that's laced in any just like in any big institution. And the 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 conflict that arises from that hypocrisy was just so fascinating to me. As a matter of fact, there's um, a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Billy Ard, who played for the Giants for a long time. Uh, he played at Wake Forest. He read it. As a matter of fact, he's one of uh, the, my endorsers. He said, everything that you had in that book has happened hundreds of times. <laughs> well, it's, it, the idea about it is that, just to give a background, we're not going to go through the, the aspect of the book because I like the themes that come out of it. It's called the Bastille Tribe, which is a fictional team in Florida or Georgia. I couldn't tell what state it was really It's in, in the Florida Panhandle. Florida Panhandle, and it was this great program. And then this uh, Wally is uh, a... a, a a player, or not player, a boy, who grew up in a small town in, was it Georgia? Georgia. Georgia with his brother, Henry. And they, Wally is just an average football player, plays on a small team, but his brother has a skill, which is he can kick the ball. He's the best kicker he's ever anyone has ever seen. And one of these Bastille coaches was going through the town and got stopped at a diner, and he said, was talking to him, and he goes, you just see my brother kick? And the brother comes to the parking lot. One thing led to another. And suddenly now his dream of now, he dreamed about this Bastille. He's there as the holder because he only holds for his brother. So he went to Bastille as the holder, as a preferred walk-on, and his brother has the scholarship. Right. Yeah, his brother, and it should be noted, his brother is a special needs. And that, that's why he will only kick when, uh, Henry will only kick when Wally holds. Um, but the real impetus is, is that Bastille is this pure place. It's like what Notre Dame aspires to be. Just kidding. <laughs> um, it's what. Uh, it's just this wonderful pure place with this great head coach, Coach Oldham, and um, Wally comes from a very, Wally and Henry live in a very toxic environment uh, with their father, and he just wants to get out of that so bad, and he's just drawn to this place because it's so pure, and Oldham is so pure, and that's why he wants to go there so bad. Right. And he goes and that's and the idea is that he it was something that it was like unattainable. Like he I liked how you it was very Rudy like, you know, the Rudy, the whole Rudy story with the, right. with the movie in terms of that. He dreamed his entire life what the ideal was. And and the ideal wasn't like, you know, it's like you have an ideal of what something will be. You know, and you think it's like you wait your whole life to eat the, the perfect steak and it's maybe not as good as steak. So he had all had this ideal of what it was. And then suddenly he was there in the mix, in the room, and he's meeting like the star quarterback, Dion, who just, you know, a couple years ago, he would never thought he would say even hi to him. And now they're joking around in the locker room together. Right, right. There's, um, and when he gets there, it is everything that he thought it was going to be. Um, as a matter of fact, he still never feels like he should really belong. Um, so uh, yeah, it was a dream come true for him until the big change takes place. And the big change is that Oldham 
leaves the coach. And this happens all the time. How many times do you hear players, they get recruited by a coach and they love the team. And then the coach leaves, the players are there and the new coach comes in and it's like, you know, a new King Rose that did not know of Joseph, you know, that type of thing. Right. And before the uh, transfer portal, there's nothing they could do about it. They were stuck. I guess. And so I think that aspect of the book and then how, how then Wally had to deal with the fact that he was, you know, sort of like Oldham's pet and how he was working with the program and loved being involved and everything. The tribe, it was called the Bastille tribe was the name of their the Bastille university tribe tribe, tribe forever, <laughs> tribe forever. And they were, and, and then suddenly that was taken away for the idea about the tribe and about how the tribe, and then you've weaved in so many other things about tribalism and those things about what's the, the good things about tribes and the bad things about tribes, right? Everything's tribal. That's the conclusion that I come to everything. It's the strongest, uh, dynamic and in, in humanity is tribalism. Everywhere you look, everyone's part of multiple different tribes. And we talked about the idea about the college town, the college experience, and then the tribe of a college, the university. I would say that there are, the good things about it are that you can go and I go to, I'm going to go to Penn State or if you go to Tuscaloosa, or just at Auburn, I, I love going to college football games. You the idea we're, we're such a society that's polarizing, you know, you're Democrat, you're Republican, you're Trump, anti every rate, different races, different religions. But it seems like the unifying aspect, some of this is just sports. Like you go to these games and people don't know what everybody's like, no, we're going to root for Alabama. We're going to root for Penn state. And that brings, it's almost a unifying nature of the fact that it takes away from the other things that everybody's different with. It, it's something that they can all rally around. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and some schools pull it off well, and some schools don't. Um, so it's a real mixed bag. And then the idea about what I like is you talked about Bastille in the town. And what was the town? I forget. It's uh, Bastille. Bastille is the, the name of the town. But the idea of being a college, like State College, Pennsylvania, Auburn, Auburn, Alabama. I bring that up. Uh, Oxford, Mississippi. You know, these are college towns. As a and the feel of that with a school and the dominance it plays over it, rather than like USC is in LA or Miami. We were down here in Florida. Miami is university is Miami university, but it's in Miami and there's other things. It doesn't dominate the town of Miami. No. Um, yeah. College towns can be the most fun places in the world, especially when you have these big programs uh, that are so unifying. You could just, you know, throw on their Jersey and you're accepted upon site. Um, that's why I had the professor in there too, to really explain all these things to Wally. Right, he sort of had no idea what was the whole idea. He just he didn't he didn't he didn't put it in perspective, and sort of like the professor helped him understand right. it. Um, and then when Oldham, I, I find Oldham the coach as the most interesting character because it's like the character of like the coaches like when a Bear Bryant goes to Alabama and builds Alabama, or Paterno goes to Penn State and builds Penn State. Coach K at Duke. I mean, these are programs that were there. They did sports before they got there. Schellenberger going to Miami, like they they played sports, but they weren't this ultimate power and sort of that's what happens and you mentioned in the book Oldham was like it almost felt like he had won these national championships his program became huge but he felt like like I can't control the wave I created myself like I am the wave I'm the one who created this but I, I I'm just riding it right now I can't control it yeah that's when uh, the professor said John Oldham was a great man because he won without succumbing to the sins of the tribe <laughs> And it's different than today. You know, today we look at some coaches, like if a, like a player, a coach takes over, like a Ryan Day coach takes over Ohio State. You can't build, you know, 
Ohio State is Ohio State. Ryan Day is not going to step it up. That's why I think I always put Saban in just his own category because he went followed Bear Bryant out of Alabama and now created this, whatever they've done. You know, it's amazing what he's done at oh, Alabama. What he's done at Alabama is just incredible. Just to follow a guy, like the, the fact that they were the premier college program and then to take it to another level with another coach. So that's, besides him, it's hard to think of any coach that could do something at a program that had esteemed success. And keep in mind, Alabama was always so strong. Well, it was certainly under Bear Bryant, but I think it was 92 when they, uh, under Gene Stallings, they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then for a long time, it was there, there was nothing going on at Alabama. So when he came in and took it over, yeah, he rebuilt it like uh, Bear Bryant did, and as you know, has taken it even further. You mentioned about Oldham, and also the thing that he one of the things that he read in the book about how there was a fight before a Florida State game with fans, and he's like, "We're going to be civil to our fans. We're going to treat them right, and all those the, the opponents, opponents, fans. We're going to play with a certain devil decency, no cheap hits. We're gonna we're gonna run a cl- not just run a clean program, but just run a clean like when I, when I went to Auburn." I couldn't believe how nice the fans were. And I'm like, I think, I said to myself, I said to other, all my friends too, I said, the Ohio State fans should come down to Auburn and learn how to be fans. Like that's, <laughs> like Alabama fans, like those, they know how to be fans. Like you're nice, like these, these are visitors. And at Penn State, I was at the game last week and they have on the scoreboard these signs, like be gracious, be whatever to, to opposing fans. I, I think it's important. And I, I think the fact that he emphasized that and that was one thing that he got credit for, it's something that, you know, you're starting to see more of in terms of like when Coach K, the famous signs of Coach K when, when, the, the Dukes fans are known for taunting and for being harsh on other players. But when it went across the line, he sometimes did grab the microphone and say, this is, we don't do it this way. Right. You know, we're Duke and those things. And some people would disagree. Another great example of that is Nebraska. I've never been to a Nebraska game, but I have a good friend who played there. And uh, he said that when you go to a Nebraska game and you're wearing the other, um, the, the opponent's jersey, people will literally, you know, shake your hand, wish you luck, offer you food. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful environment. Which it should be. I mean, we're all like sports. So the point is, like, I get, like, I, I, you know, talking about, like, going to the Eagles game I went to this past weekend. And uh, they, you know, my friends can't wear a Steeler jersey. Well, why can't I wear a Steeler jersey? Like, it, I hate that. I hate that aspect. Like, if someone's going to beat me over the head because I have a Steeler jersey on, that's pathetic. Like, I really think we all like sports. And also, they probably have fantasy football teams with tons of Steelers on their team and they're right. probably rooting for it. You know, they're yeah. betting on the Steelers. You know, it's all the whole idea of this fandom where people fans just beat each other up because someone supports another team. It dri- That drives me nuts more than anything. So we just talked about the great college programs where they're very welcoming those are great tribes. And the, the, these other ones that aren't so great, that's just a different form of the tribe. And Ohio that's why, State. <laughs> that's why I have um, I had the two different coaches. Um, the, you go into about how the media covers it. And we can talk about the media from like, you know, I saw this with the Syracuse scandal in terms of how they sort of events Bayheim, you know, sort of a Penn State, the national media was let in, whereas Bayheim was able to control the local media. But in a lot of situations, the the, the, the the football coach has total control of what the, how the local media covers the teams. Um, it's not so much now because these teams are so big that you have game day coming in, that there is that national aspect of it. But that is, but from a local perspective, it's going to be always positive, positive. You're, like, you're not going to get access unless you write nice stories. Right, right. Yeah, that's why I have the, the media uh, facet was from, uh, I call it Sports Inc. It was a, a national... Um, uh, a national media company, and that way that you didn't have any of the the restraints that that are on local media. That that would cover it, and then you also talked about you, everything is addressed in this book. The curriculum, the idea that will players 
have to adhere to the standards. Are they going to take the whole idea is are they taking basket weaving in school? Are they just showing up or whatever? And you know, you mentioned how Oldham had a much stricter way than the new coach Castor who came in. Right, and you know, there, there's so many great programs out there where you know every kid who steps on into a Division One program has, I would say, most of them have dreams about playing in the NFL. There's so many, and we all know that there's so few people that actually make it can make a living in in the NFL. There's so many good programs, though, that bring these kids in and really make them uh, point out how you really need this education and there's more to life than football. Yes, you're going to play hard, you're going to train hard, but get that education. But there's a lot of other places where it is it, it is basket weaving. And, <laughs> um, so it's a mixed bag. And, and But the theme, the reason I had academics in there so strongly, especially when it came to the professor, is, is that there's a... a I just hate the fact that there's a weakening of our academic integrity in so many of these schools that, you know, that's what the, the school is really there for is for the educational mission. And so many times that, that it becomes just secondary to, to uh, you know, all the other cultural things that are going on in schools. Yeah, we had talked about this off the air a little bit. I mean, I, from my experience working with college athletics, I mean, I went to an Ivy League school, so I can see what the athletes did. But the point is that I think that a lot of these programs, when you see the tutoring that they have and how they're able to make sure the kids go to class, I, I think that the students get a better education. I mean, the, the athletes get a better, better education and they go to summer school too. So they're going year round to school. They get a semi better education than the traditional students that I think are just goofing off the entire time and partying and not going to class and no one's monitoring them. So I, in some ways, you're right. Some schools do it better than others, but it's like, you, I think you, if you're an athlete and you say, oh, look, I'm going to go to school, you could get this great educational experience through it. You know, when I, my kids went, uh, went to college, my youngest is a sophomore right now in Florida State. Um, for all three kids, I said, when you get there within a month, if you take 10 kids, you're going to see two at the bottom range, they're not going to be there for the second year because they're goofballs and they're going to be partying and doing whatever. Then at the other end of the uh, the spectrum, you're going to see the other two kids that are uh, going to class constantly, studying, getting straight A's. And then there's the group in the middle that really don't know what they're doing. I said, you want to be the the, the high achievers. (laughs) And then you'll have something to do when you get done with college. And I think uh, for a lot of these programs, there is so much at stake they put everything in place to, to make sure that these kids are at the good end of that spectrum. And then your book talks about, I mean, the, the dividing point is when Oldham dies. I mean, very similar to what Bear Bryant, like Bear Bryant, I think Bear Bryant resigned and then he died like a, a week later. I mean, the fact that that was like, I'm never going to coach another game, but their coach, he didn't resign, but he was thought he was going to be coaching and, and handed off to a successor. And then the whole idea of succession. And I just, I'm obsessed. Like in Duke, like when Coach K, I kept thinking for the last decade, like when Coach K resigns, who's going to be the next coach? Who's going to be that successor? And you, when Paterno at Penn State, like who's going to be the successor? And the idea is, you hear this with Michigan, the Michigan man, where Jim Harbaugh is a Michigan man. And do you go and recruit from someone from within who understands the, quote, tribe that we have? Or do you bring someone from the outside? And in the book, they brought in Castorate, this coach Castorate, who was won national championships at other programs, was a media personality, but comes to this program and everything changes. And they didn't hire the assistant Dixon, who had been there, who had built, who was really part of the culture of building this tribe. Yeah, that's so it does. I'm mixed on that. Like it works with Harbaugh at Michigan because he's a Michigan man and he understands the values. I don't know if you necessarily have to have that, uh, that they have been from the school, but 
culturally speaking, you really need to make sure, forget about the, uh, of course, they have to be a successful coach, but it's how they were a successful coach is really what matters the most. And in this case with uh, the, the administration at Bastille, they didn't care. They, wa- they had a chance to get a big-name coach that would uh, uh, you know, fill the stadium. That's who they went for. And then you mentioned when the new coach comes in, how everything changes, not just the culture, but the fact that transfers are coming in. People are – there is your, your – Dion is your star player who's a star quarterback who had the culture of the tribe, understood everything. You mentioned how when Wally and Henry went there and they were sort of – the other players were picking on Wally and Henry and Dion st- started screaming it and they thought – Wally said he was thought Dion was screaming at them, and he wasn't screaming at them. He was screaming at the other players because we—that's not how we act as that's the tribe. That's not Bastille. We, it's not Bastille. We don't act this way. And that was the and when you have a leader like that who's leading the team, you know that uh, with that with the culture that means so much. You know what? He's the best player in the team, and he's also has the culture between him. And then you showed how the culture not only was captured a bad coach, but the players that he brought in were bad guys. They were the the criminals and the, and the and the bad dudes that came in. Yeah, with it, it was almost. I wanted to make it almost overnight. How you could just feel the room felt differently, and it's not just because Castro is this this uh, monster of a coach, uh, but it's also the people that he brought in, and it was the the decaying of the the standards and the, and the virtues that Oldham had built up over the decades, and that's how quickly these uh, a tribe can change. And then you mentioned, you know. I liked when you talked, you, you developed so many characters in the book. And I, what I love about football is it is definitely a team game. You have, the, especially in college, you have a superstars. You have guys that are going to go to the NFL. They're going to be making millions and millions of dollars. They're going to go out and everyone's going to. And then you have players that are just going to be great college football players. They're going to go into college town and they're going to be on maybe at their TV network or working as a job as an insurance or whatever. And the, but they are going to be beloved for being a great player at their college and then you have guys that are just going to be on the team oh you were on that team and they're going to walk around with their their championship ring and they're like oh you played on the team and i got in a few plays and but that all has to come together to make the team and that's why i love that aspect of college football in the fact you bring all those and but everybody has to be on the same wavelength and the star has to be not so worried about playing on sunday but actually has to worry about the team aspect it is it's just a great dichotomy with the whole thing yeah, being part of a team is, I mean, the team itself is the, the, the tribe. Um, that's why when they had the, the players-only meeting uh, near the end to try and figure out what was going on between Hunter and uh, uh, Wally, um, it, it is essence, a team is a tribe. And um, and there's good ones and there's bad ones. Uh, but then there's the larger tribe of the, the, the university itself and then all the fans. And uh, it, just to me, it, it's... It can switch so quickly if you don't watch it, especially after Oldham had spent all those decades building up the program with all that discipline and all the virtues. Uh, and then overnight, it just snapped away. And then one final question about this is that about NIL and transfer portal. Uh, the idea is that what happened in this book, really, I, mean, I know you said you wrote the book a couple of years ago. Now, if, if players would just transfer, they, they would be getting paid. They're the, 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 everything has totally changed. I, I'm not troubled by it at all. If a coach can pick up and leave overnight and go to a different school for more money, uh, you know, there, there's kids that go to these schools that have all these dreams. And guess what, buddy? I got a better offensive lineman than you or a better wide receiver than you. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity to another school. So uh, to me, that doesn't, I mean, think about it with Joe Burrow. If Joe, if there's not the transfer rules, 
no one would have ever heard of Joel Burrow because he wasn't getting on the field at Ohio State. Right. And then, you know, like if you're in the band and you're the best tuba player on one score, second best tuba player, and you want to go to another school to play tuba, then you can go. No one's going to make a big deal about it. Exactly. So that's my point. That gives all the flexibility. So, well, we're honored to have Mark Salter, Sins of the Tribe. Mark, uh, your book is available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere, right? Right. Bookstores everywhere. All right. Thank you very much for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you, Ira.